Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. You know, usually I will have guests on that talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion from a practitioner standpoint. But today I want to kind of go back to something that we started with in the very beginning and talking to experts that understand the psycho um, side of this, right? The psychometric side or the psychology behind this work. And so today my guest is Erica Reed, who is a clinical therapist um, that talks about trauma in this space. And so want to welcome her to the show today. So welcome, Erica. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. So for those that may not be familiar with you, can you just give us a little bit of background on who you are? Sure. I am, as you mentioned, I'm a licensed uh, psychotherapist and I have a private practice. So I work one-on-one with clients and providing therapy, but taking that work and realizing that, you know, it's one thing to work with individuals because they sort out care and and treatment to address whatever challenges they may have, but then we would do the work and then they would go to work and all of the stuff that they did, the individual work that they did um, on their, their person sometimes got undone when they went into the workplace environment because of people over there weren't working on their stuff. So I decided that it was really important to approach this as a system because we all know the change happens only through the system um, as far as sustainable change. So in addition to the work that I do in my practice, I also conduct trainings in leadership development in organizations to help leaders and, and workforce um, personnel understand um, what it is to be well, to work in an environment that is healthy, that doesn't create more trauma or trigger past trauma, and really to help people understand what it's like to navigate this world together. I love it. You know, so you use the word trauma a lot. We hear it a lot in DEI, but can you talk to us about what is trauma actually? Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that we're starting with this question because I think part of the challenge is people have this, I don't want to say a, a false idea of what trauma is, but a very narrow perspective. When people hear the word trauma, they think of abuse, childhood abuse. And obviously, yes, unfortunately, that is um, very, very prevalent in this world right now, whether people have spoken about it or not. But in addition to childhood abuse, I like to just broadly define trauma as lived experiences that people have that really... Um, come from a place where they perceive themselves to not be safe, to be in a situation that they are not in control, and it overwhelms their ability to cope, just to use their natural um, defense mechanisms or abilities to to push through. And as a result, there's there's some long-term effects of it. And really helping people to understand that everyone can actually go through the exact same experience, which we call events, but the way that we experience it, the way that we perceive it will determine how it affects us. 
So with that in mind, no one can just say what someone else defines as traumatic because it's all up to us in our definition. You know, as you were talking, and I appreciate you giving us that definition, I immediately went to like psychological safety, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a lot of the work that I do. And um, though I'm not a therapist, I do talk about, you know, the impacts of psychological safety and and helping organizations, helping leaders think about that. And so when you add on this definition of trauma and how people show up and how they cope in the workspace, it's really aligned. Like it Mm -hmm. really is tied to, you know, do I feel as if I'm safe to be here? Um, Which is really the core question that comes up so much when I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Um, And so talk to me a little bit about the impacts that occur when someone is in an environment that is not considered safe or they don't consider safe. Yeah. And that that's the problem, right? Because there is a great impact. And sometimes people, we we get so used to just being in unhealthy environments that we don't recognize that the stuff that's coming at us on a daily basis is impacting us, it's affecting us. And rather it's um, creating a a new type of challenge or it's just continuing on the existing challenge. So it can be a, a positive way of coping where we are very focused or hyper-focused to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. it can show up as perfectionism where we have to make sure everything is just so, and Mm -hmm. we don't want to make any mistakes. And we want to make sure that we are representing ourselves in a certain way, um, because that's our way of feeling in control. But anyone knows that when you're exhibiting that on a constant basis, the wear and tear is a challenge. And it's, it stems from the, the trauma that a person has experienced. But on the other hand, trauma can impact the workforce because of um, you know, how we may show up and be very irritable mm-hmm. or have a hard time really leaning in and showing someone else compassion and empathy. You know, we may have a hard time focusing and concentrating. And I know that a lot of times we see it only as like an ADHD kind of thing. But a lot of the symptoms actually of ADHD, and there's a lot of more more recent adult diagnosis of ADHD, overlap with trauma because trauma impacts the brain and the way that our brain functions, the way our brain processes information, our ability to remember details. Mm. So it's really important for us to have that emotional intelligence, which lines up with everything that we do, and practice self-awareness to say, what exactly am I doing? What am I demonstrating? What it, where are my challenges that I'm having with my coworkers? Because there may be a reason behind it other than, you know, they're just asking me to work too much. My mind has gone all over the place right now, <laughs> because one of the things um, that immediately came up as you were talking was DEI practitioners, you know, we're, we're kind of the front lines often in, in these organizations, particularly when it comes to the experiences of marginalized employees, yeah. um, because they're dealing with trauma. But as you were speaking, I'm like, so many practitioners are from marginalized communities themselves and dealing with their, they have not dealt with their own trauma um, and now trying to show up for others. And the challenge that comes along with that, you know, when you were talking about perfectionism and how particularly black women, right. You know, always have to try to prove ourselves in this space. And 
you know how that's so trauma informed like it's just it's so wrapped in how we show up because of that trauma mm-hmm. right so i know that was a whole bunch that i was spreading because that was all that was in my head but <laughs> the question you know comes in is as practitioners you know how can we be more conscious of some trauma that we may be holding on to that we haven't dealt with and and that's important because what happens is when when you are working with people whether it's in an isolated situation or on a day-to-day basis as is as you mentioned a lot of practitioners in the DEI world we have this thing called secondary trauma where you actually are receiving trauma because of the trauma that you're working with. So in addition to us having our own stuff that we're trying to work through and be aware of and heal from, it's like someone's constantly pushing that button. Every Mm -hmm. time you go into a system that is broken and doesn't want to change, it doesn't want to fix, but they want you to put a Band-Aid on it. Every time you sit with someone and you hear their story, and all of the challenges that they're having, all of the all of the times that you read uh, an account on social media or you watch a webinar, you, you you participate in something where you hear how hard someone else is having it, a time right now. That's you're being traumatized because of someone else's trauma. And when we are, you know, not only getting it from outside, but it's also an internal challenge. It's really important to, you know practice self-care. And I know that that sounds hokey, but it's so important. And <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's important. And I think, and I love, I love, you know, some of the work and I've been seeing your posts and I know that you, you are a huge, huge proponent of self-care. That is more than a mani-patty, right? Yeah. Everyone would love to go on vacation every day for self-care, but it's just not possible, nor is that the only definition of self-care. So for practitioners, one of the most important things that you can do is in addition to recognizing, you know, what are some of the feelings I'm experiencing Um, and understanding that at the end of the day through, for example, like journaling, but also setting healthy boundaries and realizing everything is not yours to handle and everything is not yours to fix. That part, (laughs) that part. Right. Like what is in your sphere of influence and then what's outside of that? And you, you, yeah, you can't change any of that, but you can control what's right here in your sphere. Um, I want to continue or go down a, a secondary path on this secondary trauma yeah. and talk about the things that are happening in the world around us. Right. So summer of 2020 was a huge catalyst for so much of this work to be highlighted, um, particularly in corporate spaces or in organizations. Um, But what I quickly realized, you know, and I was still in a corporate role at that time, was we're holding these listening circles, you know, all these folks are trying to put these, as you said, band-aids on these problems. But are we really even talking about like, what is racialized trauma? How does that manifest in the body? What does that look like? And so as practitioners moved forward from the summer of 2020, you know, you're dealing with, excuse me, the anti-Asian sentiment that was coming out, you know, Roe v. Wade, the overturn of that had impacts, um, things that were happening, happening across the LGBTQ plus community, 
right? And plus the intersection of those identities in, in so many other ways. And so when we talk about the sphere of influence and what you can and can't control, mm-hmm. as practitioners, sometimes you can control what's happening within your organization, right? Mm-hmm. You can cut back on the number of meetings that you're having or how much exposure you want to some of the internal, what I call foolishness, <laughs> that takes place. Yes. Because so, um, that's what it is, a lot of foolishness. But we cannot um, separate ourselves from these external things. Right. That that happened that we absolutely have no control over. Right. The shooting in um, in Buffalo. Right. There was no forewarning that that was going to happen, nor the impact that it was going to have on people. And Mm -hmm. so as practitioners, how can we better prepare ourselves for when these situations happen so that we can then fully show up for the folks internally? And, and that's the hard part, as you said, we just don't know, right? It's coming at us from all angles. And unfortunately, it seems like it's coming at us from all angles all the time. Yeah. So as well, as, as much as we would like to like prepare, I guess the, the hard part is recognizing you kind of got to have a foundation already set. You can't like put your battle armor on when you see it coming. Um, a large part of that, knowing who is your tribe, who are your people, mm-hmm. who are the ones that you can go to and trust in show up and just be you and not worry about what they think. You know, unfortunately people say go to work and be your authentic self. We know that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Those aren't your people. Who are your people? Know who your people are that you can say without needing to explain, oh, today was hard. Yeah. And they would get that. So when those bad things happen, those trauma events happen, um, you, you can go to your people. In addition, it's really important to know how things are affecting you just on a day-to-day basis. Like if you know that when you have a day full of meetings with these people over here versus these people over here, you know your stress level is a lot higher. So if you've already become more aware of the things that tend to push your buttons, those may be the days that you kind of buffer yourself a little bit more from outside information. You may not want to watch the news that particular day. You may not want to go on social media. That may be the day that you go home, you curl up, you do that whole warm, fuzzy self-care thing that you've already identified as a part of your toolkit and be that, be, be self-aware and be aware of the things that will kind of get you going or keep you safe. Yeah, I I love that. Um, What it also triggered for me was, and I don't, I'm going to say the phrasing wrong, but it's like, if you're already ready, you don't have to get ready Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so as you were talking about, you know, you can't prepare, but what we can do too is if we know that, we're constantly that person that people go to. And you mm-hmm. talked about like, who is, who are your tribe? Like, how do you prepare others to be able to take on that, some of that trauma, like to disperse some of that. So what came to mind was talking to middle managers or people managers about how to deal with difficult conversations or in times of you know unrest, how they should respond. Being proactive in providing some of that guidance so that when the stuff hits the fan, they're not immediately coming to you, right? Like you're, 
you've prepared them for here are the tools, here are the resources ahead of time mm-hmm. so that you're, that's also, that's also a part of self-care, right? <laughs> like, you know, okay, these types of things cause me anxiety, cause stress. Let me prepare them for this so that when the time comes, they're not triggering me as well too. Like yeah. that, as you were talking, I'm like, duh, that's, that's one of the pieces of that self-care piece that I don't think people really think about and being proactive in um, not having those triggers go off, at least not as readily go off. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if, you know, you want to prepare for the fire instead of always putting out the fire. So how yeah. do you prevent crisis management is when you give people the information, the tools, the strategies, and especially how to have those difficult conversations because people can mess those up real easy just because they didn't know the what to say, the how to say it or yeah. the when to say it. So yeah. they either say it wrong or they avoid it totally. And then that's when it blows up. And then it comes back to you anyway. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So wanted to also talk to you a little bit about, and it's kind of aligned with the trauma piece, but it's kind of the the other side of the coin is wellness, right? And so you do a lot of work around workplace wellness. Mm -hmm. And before we kind of dive into that, can you explain or talk about what that is? Because I think that's another phrase that's, thrown out there as if everyone understands what it is and they may not necessarily, again, it's like, oh yeah, we do yoga. <laughs> That's not what that is. <laughs> so can you explain what workplace wellness is in this context? Yeah. And I, you know, you're right. Some people hear wellness, they think, you know, I have a gym membership, right? right. Or, you know, we, we have that, that time where we all go out for happy hour. Okay. Well, that's, that's lovely. But <laughs> that's really not actually creating an environment where people feel that they can heal in addition to not be re-traumatized. So wellness in the workplace environment is about um, clear communication, communication that does not create more anxiety and more stress. It's about having conversations about mental health, not as a, oh, did you hear what so-and-so is going through, mm. but more of a supportive normalizing kind of way. Everyone has been through some stuff, rather it's because, you know, you carried it with you from your own lived experience personal in your personal life or because of the past few years. So it's time for us to start talking about, we experience our issues in a very different way. Some of us may have it more as far as depression. Some may have a more anxiety. How do we normalize these conversations? At first, it's about understanding what the symptoms are and how to support someone when you know or you see that there's a change. It's like you see something, you got to know how to say something and do it in a way that conveys empathy and compassion. And a lot of wellness really stems around how leadership addresses boundaries. You know, a lot of, you know, we, we hear about the, the you know, we're, we're working only up until when um, we decide we're not working. Those, yes. those healthy boundaries. And all of a sudden, it's a thing, you know, quiet quitting. Quiet quitting. Right. It's about setting boundaries. Right? <laughs> so when, you know, someone is sending you an email way past the time that you're working, who yeah. is demonstrating, who is role modeling wellness in this 
instance, the one that ignores it or the ones that's sending it. So it's about, once again, as we had to clearly define trauma, we have to define workplace wellness and that the messaging that gets sent. You know, I didn't intend, you know, you yeah. didn't have to answer. Okay, well, what was the impact? How, do you, how does it actually impact people? And that's yeah. where the empathy comes into place. Where it's not about what you thought, it's about how it was received and you having the willingness to address that. So workplace wellness, once again, is, is about having the ability to step outside of um, our normal definitions mm-hmm. and creating it in a way that people can say, I am being intentional. I am being considerate. I am being compassionate towards others in the way that I approach challenges, in the way that I convey information, in the way that I address when help is asked for without judgment. I love that. It's, and again, it goes back and it's so cliche in DEI, you know, intent versus impact. But that's what it is. Yeah. Right. Your intention. Yes. I want to get this information out. But what is the impact? And are you creating an environment where people feel they have to respond mm-hmm. um, because you sent it out at 930 at night? You know, and then it just reminded me, I got an email from someone the other day where they said, you know, they put a disclaimer in their signature that says something to the effect of, you know, I work odd hours. And so just because I'm sending this at, you know, a time that may be outside of your work time, please do not feel that you are required to respond during that time, respond at a time that is most convenient to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, yes. Okay. That's modeling that behavior, right. Mm-hmm. That you were talking about in, I'm working at a time that works for me, but no pressure for you to respond. But there's mm-hmm. some folks that expect you to respond, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And it's about, you know, we, we have to advocate for ourselves, right? Like if you if you get this email, how 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 comfortable and confident do you feel saying I'm not going to respond or I'm not I'm not inclined to really focus on what somebody else needs. And I love that they put that disclaimer in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somebody else could piggyback on it and say, well, you shouldn't have sent it in the first place. It's because so there's 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 always going to be an issue where somebody's going to have an issue. That's just yeah. it. But how comfortable does a person um how how is the environment created so that I could say, you know what? This is how I received it. And the other person could say, well, that's not how I, I intended it and how that dialogue takes place. Because right. being able to have that conversation. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, because I think that's um, a part of this where so many organizations are passive aggressive mm-hmm. when it comes to having those conversations, right? They won't say anything. I won't say, Erica, you know, you sent this email at 10 o'clock. I don't know what your thoughts were, blah, 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 blah. Rather than having, I mean, it would be a nicer conversation. But rather than having that conversation, I'm going to have an attitude with you, but I'm going to talk about you to this person over here. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, that doesn't help anything at all. So I think it's important that, um, you know, as you talk about workplace wellness, that we clarified what that meant, because again, I think there's this misnomer that it's health benefits, <laughs> yoga, you know, EAP, whatever it is, but it's it's so much more. 
And I want to ask you, and I want to take it a step further, um, because this has been top of mind for me lately. And when we're talking about workplace wellness and creating boundaries and understanding, advocating for ourselves, we are now in what I call kind of this DEI 2.0 of taking taking these actions, I'm sorry, taking the words and awareness into action, right? So we're seeing this thing manifest in the workplace. And part of that's now a hybrid workplace. Mm-hmm. So what does wellness look like in a hybrid space? Because now you're looking at increased communication, increased, you know, uh, inclusion efforts. So I want to hear from you kind of how do the two mesh? And that's a hard thing because there's an increase in everything which becomes an increase, it becomes too much, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we, we need to maintain this connection in the hybrid world, but is it necessary? Like mm-hmm. really checking it and not just with another survey that no one does anything with, but mm-hmm. for real, for real, for real, asking the people in your team what works best for them. How how are your how can I best meet your needs? And by the way, that's part of being trauma informed is giving people options and choice. And that's what hybrid allows people to experience. Now I get to have some flexibility in my world. So as a leader, you know, do you have to check in every five minutes? Or is there a measure of trust and safety in the workplace that I trust that you're gonna do what you're tasked to do? Yeah. And then we're going to reconvene and review it. And that is wellness. That is where I now feel healthy and able to do what is in my lane, in my expertise. And I'm also setting boundaries just because I'm at, oh, please don't be one of those people that say just because you don't have to commute, you now get to work more time. No, that's not wellness, not as an expectation of others or of yourself. So still, once again, it's the boundaries, boundaries yes. even in this hybrid, hybrid workplace environment. Yes. I mean, I'm, so much of what you're saying is resonating because it's things that I'm hearing, right? Where <clears throat> some leaders are saying, oh, okay, COVID's over. Everyone come back to the office. And I'm like, mm, we can't unring that bill. <laughs> like... You've given people this option of, of working from home and being able to set those boundaries and create environments that work best for them, um, be it at home, be it you know going into the office every few days or what have you. Um, but now it's like these expectations of how I as leader works. I want everyone to work this way. And it's back and you know, there's this backlash of that. And so, you know, as you're talking, I'm like, that is being trauma informed. That is understanding. Is this an expectation that I'm placing on myself or am I placing it on other people because this is what was done to me? You know, like, yeah, it's it's the cycle that can take you on. Yes. Yes. And so I think that that is um, part of the conversation that needs to happen with leaders because it's like, how much of my baggage am I going to put on you? Yeah. Yeah. Because It was I, done to me, so I'm going to do it to you. You know, this is the way I, I was brought up. This is the way I came through. So now there's this measure that that's the only way. And that's okay. not. And COVID and all the stuff that's been going on has actually opened our eyes. It's, it's been yeah. an awful experience, but it's opened our eyes and allowed us to see people in a very 
very different way. And if I am an employee and I've been working from home because of COVID and, and all of the things that's been going along with trying to people get people back into the workplace. And now you're telling me I need to come back to the, the office because I need to do my job. So now you're conveying to me that you don't trust me, mm-hmm. but I've been doing my job all along. So that's where the trauma-informed leader is, is, is needing to lean in and say, am I conveying a message of distrust in me saying you have to return to the way things used to be because I don't think you'll do what you need to do. Yeah. I am now not feeling safe. Right. Though I've proven over the last two years that I've been able to do it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, it's the trust thing all over again. Yes. So I want to end with this. And my last question is, you know, we've talked about, everyone else taking care of themselves and and whatnot, but how do you take care of yourself, right? Like how do you fill your cup and and make sure that you are whole in this work? Well, you know, the one thing that I did learn about myself that I didn't know is that I need the outdoors, right? I think a lot of us got that whole cabin fever over the past few years and it just felt, I felt so contained. And I realized I need to be out and I need to get fresh air. I need to get sunlight. So one way that definitely is is important for me to integrate into my world is to take walks, just to to be at peace and to just breathe and not have the recycled air, my air conditioning that I have right now. And just be able to get out and feel the sunlight and just, just enjoy the quiet and not have other people's energy coming at me but just be able to release it. And that's that's one way I take care of myself. I love it. Especially the other people's energy. Yes. Ooh. It, it's always, right? And, and I love it because that's my job and it's my passion, it's my purpose. But at some point my cup get full and I need to release. Yes, I love it. So Erica, how can people get in contact with you if they would love to, to work with you or, or follow you in any way? Well, I would love the opportunity just to chat and, and share with people some of the, the work that I do and one-on-one with leaders or in, in, in um, organizations and providing that with training. So you feel free to reach out to me via uh, LinkedIn or Twitter at Erica and Reed LCSWC. I also um, put together a guide. You know, we talked about those difficult conversations and people just not knowing what to say. So I, I definitely encourage you to download that free guide and, and get a step-by-step process on how to go through that. And that's at bit.ly slash ENR guide. I love it. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a lot. I took a lot of notes because I'm like, oh, I'm making connections that I hadn't made before. So thank you so much for that. I would love to have you back on the show again. Thank you to everyone that has joined us today um, for this conversation. Hopefully you were able to walk away with a few nuggets like I have been. Um, Please continue to subscribe and follow us here on YouTube, or you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, have a good one.